Welcome to the Show Up Podcast with me, your host, Natalie Norton. This podcast is all about having the courage to be a really good human and living the kind of life that genuinely fires you up every single day. Are you ready to become your best self and truly show up for your life, come what may? Me too. Let's do this thing. Well, hi. Hello. This is Natalie. Welcome to Show Up with Natalie Norton. This is episode number 21. We're going to do something a little bit different today, and I will tell you why. Because today is a very special day. Today is my oldest son, Raleigh's 16th birthday. Oh my goodness. It feels like it's been maybe 16 months. The fact that it has been 16 years is absolutely unfathomable to me. (laughs) So for today's show, I'm going to share 16 lessons with you that I have learned over the last 16 years being a mother. And I'm just going to dive right in. Number one, You're never, ever going to regret one single moment that you spend truly engaged with your child. Um, I remember when I learned this lesson, I was, I, I think Raleigh was probably three months old. And I remember I was walking home from a church activity with a few other moms that lived in um, the married student apartment complex that we lived in. And one of these moms was talking about how her two or three month old little girl just slept through the night, like no big deal. Just went to sleep when it was time to go to sleep. Didn't really cry much. Slept all night long, nine, 10 hours of sleep. And I'm sitting here ready to rip my hair out because my little guy, super colicky, doesn't sleep in longer than two to three hour bursts. And I'm just at my wits end. So exhausted. I feel like I'm going to die. And I remember going home and talking to Richie about it. And I remember buying the books that this that this other mom had recommended to me. And I remember talking to another mom, a friend of mine, um, Naomi, who had been involved in this conversation with me. And both of us were just like, oh, my gosh, if only our kids would sleep the way that this other girl's baby was sleeping. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I remember saying to Naomi, Omi, if anything were ever to happen to one of these babies, neither of us would ever regret one single moment that we spent rocking them to sleep or getting up with them in the middle of the night and having that quiet time nursing them and rocking them and and witnessing the beauty of who they are. The interesting thing about that lesson is that it it looped, it, it blessed me in so many ways for, for the entirety of my, of my motherhood experience, but particularly six years later when I lost my little boy, Gavin. I had I'd kept that lesson close to my heart all those years. And for the 12 weeks of Gavin's life or 10 weeks of Gavin's life, that little boy was strapped to my chest probably 90% of that time. I spent all of my time cuddling him and and enjoying him and um, witnessing the glory of what he was and um, really connecting and engaging with him. And my gosh, now I know I was right. All those years ago, I was right in thinking that it, there, there wasn't a single moment of that kind of attention and engagement that um, in a worst case scenario, you would ever, ever regret. Number two, being a mother, being a parent will be worse 
than you ever imagined that it would be, but it will also be so much better. Um, I think expectations can get us into trouble, can't they? I, I remember so many times where I had expectations about milestones and, you know, was he going to figure this out? And oh my gosh, so-and-so's kid's doing this. And he, and just the stress that I would feel was so much more overpowering than I had ever imagined. Because I went into this thinking like, eh, it's going to be fine. Like, I've got this. I have so much love. I'm reading all the books. But then when things don't go the way that you imagined, that level of stress that I felt, particularly as a first-time mom, could feel absolutely all-encompassing sometimes. And in that way, that level of stress was so much worse than anything that I could have ever imagined. And then you just look at that little human and and in an instant with one smile or one giggle or one like ability to roll over or the first step or whatever it is, all of that stress and all of that overwhelm is just washed away in an instant. And that taught me so much about life and about the fact that it's going to be both better and worse than anything that any of us could ever anticipate and that there's so much beauty in that because it's always changing. And no matter how bad it gets, it will always get better. And sometimes that change can happen just as quick as a smile. Number three, relax into it. The stakes of every single choice are not as high as you think. This is particularly a story that that um, this involves Cardin, my, my second son. So Cardin had a really tough time um, self-soothing and he had a lot of sensory issues. And because of that, that little dude really needed his binky. This went on for years. And by the time he was like two and a half, you know, we we tried all the things to get him to to stop and to try to get rid of this binky. And I was so worried about it. You know, you just you worry and and people have all these opinions about it and and when it's age appropriate and and they have all these like plans about how you can do it, you know, have the binky fairy come and you know whatever. Suddenly I just thought, why does he really have to stop sucking on this binky? at two or two and a half years old. This is ridiculous. But of course, all these other people's opinions were stressing me out. And it felt like a really big deal until one day I mentioned it to an older um, mom, a more experienced mom, um, a more mature mom, maybe that's a better way to say it, at church. And she looked at me and she said, Natalie, as long as he doesn't still use a binky when you send him off to college, everything is gonna be fine. And of course it was you know, tongue in cheek, she was being silly. But you know what, she was right. I was so worried about about this one silly thing and it was causing me so much stress. And do you wanna know what ended up happening with Cardin? Truly, as silly and crazy and impossible as this sounds, one morning right around, you know, he was probably getting close to three, maybe a little bit older than three, honestly, I can't remember, but he came out of his room that morning and he had fists full of binkies because that was the thing. It wasn't just he had to have one binky, he had to have binkies like all over his bed. And he would just gather them and he'd keep them in his fists and he had them all day and everywhere he went, he had a binky or 10. And he gathered them all up and he walked outside, or I'm sorry, he walked out into the kitchen and he just tossed them in the trash can and he looked at me and he said, all done. And you guys, that was it. Done. Finito. Genuinely never asked for a binky again. He grew out of it and he knew it and he was done. So this thing that I had spent all of these months agonizing over ended up just being something that just resolved itself as soon as he was ready. Number four, even the hardest things won't last forever. And that kind of is a nod um, to what I said earlier about things being both harder and 
so much better than you'd ever imagined. I remember after my brother died, just feeling so crushed. And I was laying on my bed in, um, in my bedroom and I was laying face down and we had our bed up on cinder blocks, right? So we could have extra storage underneath um, in this in this little home that we lived in back then. And one of the boys, I think it was was Cardin, toddled in, and I was just sobbing. I was just laying there on the bed, just sobbing, feeling as though I would never feel joyful again. Cardin looked at me and he goes, "Oh no, mommy, what's wrong?" And I looked up and I said, "Oh, I'm just really sad. I just, I just miss Unky. I just miss, I miss Uncle Gavin." And he looked at me and he just said, "Oh, it's okay. I'll go dig him up," because that was the logical thing to do, right? I'll just go dig him up. We put him in the ground. Let's go get him out. And in an instant, I went from being so broken and so sad and feeling so incredibly devastated to just belly laughing in the most joyful way and being so overcome with love and gratitude um, for these little humans that I had in my life. Anytime I have felt in the pits, in the deepest, darkest part of despair, that has always proven true. The more I've experienced it, the, the track record has built, right? And now when I feel that that depth of darkness, I... I feel a lot more hopeful inside of it because I know, I know from experience that it will pass and that there's joy on the other side, that no pain that we experience, no hardship, no season of difficulty, um, no stage for these crazy little children. None of that lasts forever. It's always, it's always going to change. Number five, um, and this is something I feel really passionate about. It's not me as a parent raising a child. Um, It's a partnership. We're humans raising humans because, I mean, I started having babies at 21. I was very much a baby myself, and I feel like I grew up along with these kids. You know, you can have that feeling of just being so overwhelmed by by the longevity of it and by by the the vastness of it and and feeling so young and, and incapable and unprepared for this big, huge, heavy, hard thing. But it was a few years into into being a mom when I just looked at these kids and I realized, you know what? We're growing up together and that's okay. We're a team. We're a family. This is a partnership. This is a group effort. And that that paradigm shift has blessed our family in so many ways. I never profess perfection to my kids. They're very clear that I'm imperfect. I'm not hiding that from them in any way. We work together in all things. I accept feedback from them. I offer feedback to them. We work together to, we counsel together to make decisions for our family and for our home as it relates to rules and as it relates to the way that we treat each other and as it relates to the way that we um, manage difficult situations in our family life. Remembering that that it's not just this, this relationship where it's like, I am the goddess of all things and you are my, my subjects here below me. But remembering like, these are humans that are eventually going to grow into adults. And I'm also learning and growing here. I am also a human and I'm imperfect. And if we put my wisdom with your wisdom and with dad's wisdom, my gosh, that's a lot of wisdom. Also, when you when you treat it as a partnership and as a group effort, you're never in any of it alone. Never in any of it alone. And then there's so many lessons that our kids learn through that kind of connection, um, just about how to be adults and work with others in their own lives as they get older. Um, number six, again, this this is a little nod to number five. 
I ask myself all the time, how would I view or handle this situation or this behavior if you, meaning you, the child, whether it's Raleigh or Lincoln or Cardin, if you were an adult, if you were an adult human, how would I handle this? Would I yell and scream at you? Would I threaten you? When I think about it that way, I treat my kids with a little bit more dignity and with a higher level of expectation. I treat them as though they are adults. And because of that, I find that they have the capacity more than some other kids. I mean, you know, all of this ultimately, let's be honest, it's all crapshoot. We're just doing the best we can, right? But what I found is that sometimes my kids have a higher level of emotional intelligence or a higher ability or capacity to, to reason and to discuss things in a really mature way because I'm approaching them in a really mature way. I'm not approaching them like a dictatorship, like I'm the boss, you are my subject. And that leads directly into lesson number seven. Everyone deserves respect. I, I, yes, I believe that my children should honor me as their mother and that they should honor their father. And I believe in them being respectful and obedient. But I also believe that as human beings in general, we are all deserving of love and respect. And so I also work very hard to respect them. I found that when I forget this and I'm not as respectful or I just or I use a phrase akin to because I said so <laughs> anytime I I do that um, and I behave in that way with with less respect than I would with any other human. Um, the results are never what I would have hoped that they would be. Um, there's never an increase of trust, which is what I'm always going for. I'm always searching for the ability to to handle hard things and not so hard things in a way that increases trust and increases the bond between me and my children or me and anyone in my life. One of the greatest ways to ensure that we are constantly building trust is by expecting respect from others and offering respect to them in return, even if those others are our children and perhaps especially if they are our children because who deserves to feel more loved and seen and cherished by us than these these little humans that we are working to mold into becoming the best the best adults that they can possibly be number eight trust the journey i've had a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns and i've been pinned under the water <laughs> far more than I ever would have imagined and it's always been okay and learning not to resist so much but to just trust that everything is really going to work out the the analogy that I often use is the idea that we have it in our heads and I, I've certainly been guilty of this in the past that things have to be a certain way right and and even our prayers might indicate that like I need this God and it's so specific. And that's that's great. That level of faith is fantastic. But what I find happens when we when we approach things in this way is it's as if we have our fists so tightly clenched around what it is that we think that we want and we think that we need and the way that we think things have to go that let's say we're being tossed all these wonderful blessings or all these amazing alternatives. How are we going to catch them? Our hands are so tightly clenched, we can't catch what is being tossed to us by God. And if we trust the journey and just walk through our lives and our parenting experience with our palms up, things always turn out better than, than anything that we can concoct in our, own, in our own limited mind, in our own limited capacity. Number nine, just keep smothering them with affection. 
whatever that looks like to you. You know, I did an Instagram post a little while ago because I'm constantly being asked how it is that I have raised boys, teenage boys that are so affectionate with me and just love me and and cuddle with me and um, and hug me. And um, truly, it's just because I do it to them. <laughs> it's just a part of our relationship because that is how I express love to them. And it's like an expectation. And that doesn't mean that you have to smother your children in that kind of affection. If, if you're not incredibly physically affectionate, um, maybe you're the way that you show affection is through serving. Um, maybe it's through speaking kind words. Maybe um, it's through having special experiences. Whatever it is, whatever the thing is that makes you feel engaged and that helps you show your love for your children, smother them in that thing. And then, of course, you know, there's there's that book, The Five Love Languages, and I do think that there is some validity there, definitely. That, that everyone needs to receive love in different ways, that we have different different ways that, we, that we're able to make space for or recognize love when it's expressed to us. And that book is fantastic. In addition to that, I think that telling them that we love them as often as we can in whatever ways feel congruent for us is one of the most powerful things we can do as parents. Number 10, be a safe space. Be a safe space constantly, unconditionally. I think that speaks for itself. Be the person. Be the one who will always be accessible and available. Be the one who is never going to um, make them feel shamed or make them feel embarrassed for for confiding in you. Uh, Be the space where they know that they can come to you with anything, with anything, and that it will be received with love and respect and compassion especially as we've moved into this phase of, of teenage teenagehood. It's just been the, the way that I've truly just stay, stayed connected emotionally with these boys is by ensuring that I am always, always a safe space. Number 11, this is so important, you guys. So important. So I'm like leaning in to the microphone. I want you to lean into the speaker, turn up the volume, take ownership, take ownership ownership of your own crap as a parent. Just because you're an adult doesn't mean that you can't take ownership when you make a mistake. It doesn't mean that you have to have it all figured out. Don't have some arrogant air of superiority with your children. It's like that that proverb, when you bow, bow low, right? Bowing and just saying, hey, look, I screwed up. Apologize. Be willing to apologize without any kind of disclaimer at the end. Like, I'm so sorry that I that I yelled at you, but blah, 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 blah. You're negating the apology in the same breath in which you're offering it. Don't do that. Teach your children humility. Teach them that that apologizing is is strong and that it's allowed. Teach them that expressing the fact that you were wrong is not a sign of weakness at all. It's a sign of strength. Your worth is inherent and that you're not smaller or less than because you admitted that you weren't right or that you didn't know what you were doing or that you don't know what to do next. Have those conversations openly and it teaches your children how to do the same. Number 12, let them be little. I say this to Raleigh all the dang time because that little boy, I swear, by the time he was four, he was 32. (laughs) He just is so proactive, so incredibly ambitious, just a really uh, a hard, hard worker um, with really high expectations of himself. And his dad and I are always reminding him, Raleigh, you are young once. This is the one period of your life when you do not have to carry the weight of all the things 
be little inside of it, have fun inside of it. This works for our family. This doesn't have to be how you do it. If this resonates for you, great, grab onto it. The same is true of any of these things. If it doesn't resonate for you, fine, skip it. You don't have to embrace all of the things. There's not one way to do this. For us, I don't want my kids to feel as though they have to be so incredibly scheduled or that they have to be engaged and involved in all of the things or that they have to do 4,000 chores on top of all the other huge expectations that exist for them as it relates to school or, or jobs that they may have or community service or the things that they do in the church or surfing, whatever it is. I want them to have some time to just explore and play and laugh and be lighthearted. There is plenty of time in life to feel stressed, to feel strain. This time as they're little, they have this opportunity to be lighthearted and free. And so anything I can do to facilitate that in their lives, I take advantage of it. Number 13, this one has been huge for me. I don't have to fit any kind of traditional mold. I am what my kids need. So I turn up the volume on what I'm good at. There are lots of things that I have spent a lot of time wishing that I was better at, or um, I felt lazy because, because there's some things that are just hard for me to get enthusiastic about, or I felt guilty because I'm like, I'm cheating them out of this magical thing. Like an example of that might be like big magical traditions. Like I see these people doing these huge St. Patrick's Day things where like the leprechaun comes and like we've done little things like that, but I'm fully fine now <laughs> doing them in my own simple way. Right. Rather than like having the little footprints and and the green breakfast or whatever, we buy little golden nuggets, candy, chocolate candies, and we throw them all over the house. Ta-da, the leprechaun came and that's my version and it's fine. But here's the thing. There are those of you out there listening for whom a more complicated, excited, engaged way of approaching tradition is what fires you up. And if that is the case, you turn the volume up on that. You lean into that because you are what your kids need. There are other strengths that I have and I turn up the volume on those things and that's enough because I am what they need. And I may not have the best laid table at Thanksgiving and my door may not be decorated on Valentine's Day. Um, But you know what? That's okay because I'm on the floor in my pajamas at 5 p.m. because we've been laying on the ground talking and, and playing and laughing all day. I'm really good at being there, at being with. And that's where I thrive and that's where I feel passionate and engaged. And others may look at that and think like, oh, that's so lazy. Like get up and decorate the house for Halloween or whatever. And you know what? Awesome. If that's your thing, do it because there's a reason you're good at it. Your kids might need that kind of, of engagement. And maybe my kids do too. I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, (laughs) time will tell, but I'm convinced that as long as I am engaging in the ways that I am naturally inclined to do, that that will always be enough because I will always be what they need because they're mine. And that's not an accident. And your children are yours. That is not an accident. And if you're an auntie or an uncle, those people that, that look to you as, as a leader and as an example, they belong to you too turn up the volume on those things that are inherently your strengths and those things that inherently fire you up. There's nothing better, nothing better that you could do for them. Um, Number 14, say yes, say yes, 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 yes. I say yes as often as I possibly can so that when I say no, it actually means something. Sometimes I wonder and I worry that I'm saying yes too much, but usually when I am tempted to say no, it's often, not always, but it's often 
not because it's like a bad thing for the kids to do or because um, they aren't deserving or haven't earned it or, you know, or whatever. Usually it's because it's inconvenient for me (laughs) or because it's a pain in my butt. Can we have a late night tonight? And I'm like, oh my gosh, no, I can't even handle it. No, everybody get out of here. And sometimes I honor that because sometimes I need to prioritize myself and I'm fine doing that. Trust me. My kids are very clear that I have boundaries and that I take care of myself so that I can take care of them more fully. But sometimes I'm saying no simply because I don't want the hassle. And if that's the case, I try to reevaluate and say, you know what? All right. But here's the parameters, right? But I say yes as often as I can. Um, And, you know, to be totally honest, guys, I know that they say we shouldn't be like negotiating with our kids, but I fully encourage my kids to negotiate with me. (laughs) Not that they should talk back or be disrespectful. Don't misunderstand. But I do want them to know that if they come to me with a good, clear argument, or if they can make a real case for something in a respectful and loving way that takes into account my needs, my feelings, their dad's needs, every it's the highest good of all concerned. I'm, I'm open for negotiation, but ultimately they also know that, that ultimately what I say goes, I want to say yes as much as possible so that when I do say no, they listen. And, and that has been, that has been the case. It's really so far so good. You know, again, all a crapshoot doing the best we can. But so far, so good. Number 15, I won't ever be everything. I will not be able to fill all of my children's needs. No parent will ever be able to fill all of their children's needs. No person will ever be able to fill all of another person's needs. I'm very clear about this, and I actually communicate this very openly with my children. I will never be able to fill all of your needs. This is your life and I'm going to do the best I can as a cheerleader for you. I'm going to do the very best I can to support you and to love you. And ultimately, this is your life. And I'm still living my life. You are at the center of my life. But I'm still learning and growing too with my own responsibilities and my own goals and my own objectives. And I am your number one teammate. But... I'm not going to be able to fill every need you have. If you're feeling sad, sometimes I will not be able to fill that. If you need, you know, help with XYZ project, I will not always be available to provide that help for you. You've got to learn to be proactive and and to help yourself and to also reach out to others in your life that can help you. I want my kids to know that I'm always there for them, but I want them to also know that there's lots of other people out there that love them that they can reach to and look to as well. I think and I hope and I pray that when they're older and they get married, they won't ever look to a spouse to to complete them, that they'll know that that work is theirs and theirs alone. Number 16, just be there. Be all the way there. Be interested, be engaged, be excited be with them, look at them, experience them. Ultimately, that's all there is. Because what else are we doing, right? What else is any of it for, if not to experience them, and to engage with them and to make sure that they feel seen and loved by us? What more is there? That's all that is ultimately going to matter to you or to them. So all the fancy frilly stuff that we do and all of the the attempts that we make at these magical, vast experiences and, and entertaining them and, and exposing them to all of the things, that's all important and it's all wonderful. But none of it can take the place of just being with them, eye to eye, heart to heart, fully engaged with no distraction. 
that is probably the greatest lesson of all. Thank you, my friends, my my wonderful listeners, the best listeners on the planet. The show up community is just amazing. You guys are amazing. As always, I love you. I see you out there doing your best. Your best is always enough. I am rooting for you. I believe in you. Now go and make it a great day, a great week, a great month, a great summer. I'm not signing off. I'll see you next week. But I do want you to to set your sight on making this an intentional summer that is full of love. And going back to that most important lesson that I've learned in my 16 years of, of parenthood, it's all about engaging intentionally. What would happen if right now, today, you set an intention to make this summer your most engaged summer yet? Think of how you would feel at the end of it. Think of the satisfaction that you would feel. And that doesn't mean that you have to be all mom all the time or all dad all the time. If you set your intention on being present and available, you can still make time for the other things, schedule them in, make it work. But when you're there, when you're parenting, when you're in it, be in it. And I promise you, at the end of the summer, you will not have an ounce of regret. And I can almost guarantee you, it will be your best summer to date. And for those of you who are in these little toddler, baby, little people years, it goes faster than you can possibly imagine. Be in it. You will not regret one single moment of time that is spent rocking those babies to sleep. I love you guys. Have a great week. I'm Natalie Norton, and you have been listening to The Show Up Podcast. Until next time, my beautiful friend, keep showing up, keep that heart wide open, and as always, remember, your best is always enough.